0: Chapter One of Born to Serve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Born to Serve, by Charles Monroe Sheldon. Chapter One. The world needs love. At the same time, Richard said, "Missus Richard Ward, anxiously, it comes back to the old question." what are we to do you know i am not strong enough to keep house alone we can't afford to break up our home and go into a hotel and yet it seems almost the only thing left to do what shall we do i don't understand why all our girls stay so short a time exclaimed mr ward irritably and then he looked across the table at his wife and his look softened a little as he noted more carefully her tired face and the traces of tears on her cheeks oh i don't understand it all i know is that they are all simply horrid i do everything for them and never get anything but ingratitude from every one of them the idea of Maggie leaving me to-day of all the days. Just when Aunt Wilson was coming, and Alfred home from college, and Lewis down with his accident, it is more than I can bear, Richard. If you were any sort of a man, you would know what to do. Well, I am any sort of a man, and I don't know in the least what to do, replied Mr. Richard Ward to himself, as his wife laid her head down on the table, regardless of several dishes overturned, and broke into sobs as a relief for her feelings which had been growing in hysterical power ever since maggie the hired girl had that morning not only given notice of her departure but had actually left after a brief but heated discussion about the housework in the ward family the two children at the table turned frightened looks first at the father and then at the mother and the youngest of them began to cry "'Stop that, Carl!' exclaimed Mr. Ward sharply. Then, as he pushed back his plate with the food on it untouched, he muttered to himself, "'I'm losing all my Christianity over this miserable hired-girl business. "'It's breaking up our home-life and wrecking the joy of our very children!' The child's lip curled in a piteous effort at control, and the older one began eating again, looking from father to mother anxiously." Mr. Ward rose, and, going over to his wife, he sat down by her and stroked her head gently. "'There, Martha, you are all worn out. Just go into the sitting-room and lie down. George and I will do up the dishes, won't we, George? We'll play hired girl to-night, won't we?' "'Let me help, too,' cried Carl. "'Yes, you can help, too. Finish your supper, and we'll have a jolly time washing and wiping. Now, Martha, you go in and lie down.' "'We'll get things straightened out somehow.' Mrs. Ward feebly protested, but allowed her husband to lead her into the sitting-room, where she sank down on a lounge. "'I've got a splitting headache, Richard. Leave the dishes until morning. You're tired with your business.' "'No, I don't like to see them lying around. Besides, dirty dishes have a way of growing with miraculous rapidity when the girl's gone, and things go to pieces like this,' he said with a lapse, into irritation again." "'It's not my fault!' exclaimed Mrs. Ward sharply. "'Carl, stop that noise!' she added, as Carl began to gather up some of the dishes, piling the biggest plates on the little ones, and letting several forks and knives clatter to the floor in his eagerness to help. "'Don't be always nagging the children, Martha,' said Mr. Ward angrily, losing his temper for the tenth time that evening. The other times he had lost it silently.' "'It's always stopped that noise from mother with her headaches,' said George, as he tried to pick up the knives and forks quietly, and let them drop twice before he had them back on the table. "'See me help! See me help!' sung Carl as he started towards the kitchen door with his arms full of dishes. The pile was too heavy for his strength, and as he neared the door the column began to topple. It balanced for a moment on the edge of safety, and then fell with a crash." The child looked at the ruin a moment in terrified silence, then sat down on the floor and began to cry. Mrs. Ward sat up on the lounge and looked at her husband almost savagely. "'Richard Ward, if you don't do something to change all this!' She did not finish her sentence, but lay down and turned her face to the wall in despair. And Richard Ward, of the firm of Meade Ward and Company, known in business circles as a good, agreeable, and fairly successful merchant, and in church circles as a consistent member and active Christian man, turned from his wife and went out into the dining-room with a look on his face that his minister had never seen, and a feeling in his heart that was a good way from being what might be expected in a man who was, in good and regular standing, in the Marble Square Church. It would be very funny, "'If it were not so near a tragedy,' he said to himself, "'as he picked up the broken dishes while the two boys looked on. "'It would be comical if it were not so miserably serious in its effects on our home life. "'Here I am doing the dirty, common work of the kitchen. "'I, Richard Ward, the dignified, well-to-do member of the firm of Mead Ward & Company, "'all because of this girl who—' "'He did not finish the sentence even to himself—' but went on with the work of clearing the table, making the two boys sit down in a corner of the dining-room while he did the work. When he had carried everything out, he let the children go out into the kitchen with him, while he carefully shut the door into the dining-room, and then proceeded to do up the dishes, letting George help, and finally, in answer to the younger boy's plea, allowing him to carry some of the indestructible dishes into the pantry. "'It's fun, isn't it, Papa?' said Carl, as the last dish was wiped and the towels hung up. "'Great fun,' replied Mr. Ward grimly. "'Father means it isn't,' said George, with a superior wisdom. "'Anyhow, I think it's fun. Only I don't like the old girls. They make Mama feel bad. Do they make you feel bad, Papa?' "'Yes, my son, they do,' replied Mr. Ward, as he sat down in one of the old kitchen chairs and took his younger son into his lap." and if the truth were told if his two small sons had not been present it is possible mr richard ward might actually have shed tears over the constant recurring tragedy of the hired girl as it had been acted in various forms in his own household during the last five years since they had moved into the city and his wife's health begun to break down from the household cares and yet i don't understand these women he said to himself as he sat there in the kitchen his chin on the little boy's head, while George perched on the kitchen table gravely observant. "'We have everything in the world to do with. Our family is not very large. Martha is kind and gives the girls very many favors. We pay good wages and are ready to put up with many kinds of incompetency, and yet we don't seem to be able to keep any sort of a girl more than three months at a time. It is breaking up our home life. It is simply absurd that I should be doing this kitchen work,' but martha isn't well and there's breakfast to get and all the work after it he thought of his wife in the other room on the lounge and was filled with remorse for her i was a brute to talk to her so sharply he said out loud brutes don't talk said george from his elevated post on the table speaking from knowledge gained in a study of a natural history primer given him by his aunt wilson some of them do the two-legged ones replied his father and then he rose, and with the boys went into the sitting-room. They found that Mrs. Ward had gone upstairs in answer to a call from Lewis, the oldest boy of the family at home, who had broken his arm the week before while engaged in sport at school. The duty of putting the two younger lads to bed devolved upon the father. He performed the duty without much heart in it. His wife was silent and in no mood for reconciliation. When Carl said his usual prayer, he added, "'And bless Maggie, because she is so bad, and has wandered far from the fold,' repeating a phrase he had heard at Sunday school the week before. And Mr. Ward listened with anything but love of mankind in his heart, wondering whether he ought not to be included in the child's petition, esteemed church member, though he might be in the eyes of those who did not see into his home life.' In the morning he faced a tired, listless, discouraged wife, sitting opposite him at a breakfast, which had been prepared with his help, under protest, and with a spirit of nervous depression that from experience he knew well enough meant a miserable day at home. He rose from the table with a really desperate feeling, saying again to himself, It would be funny if it were not so tragic. "'I'll try to find someone, Martha,' he said feebly as he put on his hat. "'I don't much care whether you do or not,' she answered indifferently. He was tempted to grow angry, but checked himself. "'I'll advertise. I'm tired of sending to the agencies.' His wife did not answer. "'We'll do the best we can, Martha. There must be some competent girl in all this city somewhere. "'If there is, we never found one,' Mrs. Ward answered sharply. He wisely declined to discuss the question and started to go out. "'I'll not be home to lunch,' he said, putting his head in at the door." There was no answer, and he slowly shut the door and started for his car at the next corner, and of the many burdened, perplexed hearts carried into the city that morning, it is doubtful whether any out of all the number was more burdened than that of Mr. Richard Ward, of the firm of Meade, Ward and Company. He sent into three of the leading evening papers a carefully worded advertisement, asking for a competent servant, and took up his day's work with its usual routine without the least expectation that any reply would come from his advertisements. It would, therefore, have given him a peculiar sense of interest in the future, if at about six o'clock that evening, as he went out of his office, and with strange reluctance started for his home, he could have seen in a house not two blocks from his own, a young woman eagerly reading the advertisement, and talking to an older woman in a strangely subdued, but at the same time positive manner concerning it. "'Barbara, what you say is impossible. It is so strange that no one but yourself would ever have thought of it. You must give up any such plan.' The younger woman listened thoughtfully, holding a newspaper in her hand, and as she looked up from it the older woman had finished. At the same time, mother, will you tell me something better to do? "'There are a thousand things—anything except this. But what, mother? I have tried for everything. Our friends—' her lip curled a little as she said the word—'have all tried. No one seems to need me unless it is this family. Here seems to be a real need.' It will be unselfish, mother, don't you think, to do something to fill a real demand, instead of always begging for a chance to make a living somewhere. She took up the paper and read the advertisement slowly. Wanted. A competent girl to do general housework. A good cook. Able to take charge of the housekeeping for a family of five. American girl preferred. Good wages. Apply at once to Richard Ward, number 36, Hamilton Street." I call it a good opening, mother, and it's only two blocks from here, and I seem to fill all the requirements. I am competent, I am a good cook, I am an American girl, and I am able to apply at once because I have nothing else to do, so I do not see why I should not walk right over and secure the place before someone else gets it. She rose from her seat, and the mother turned an appealing face towards her. Barbara, you shall do no such crazy thing. At least you shall not with my consent. It is madness for you to throw yourself away, to think of my daughter becoming a hired girl. Barbara, it is cruel of you even to suggest it. It is a part of your college foolishness. You have been jesting with me. No, mother, dear, I have not. Barbara walked over to where her mother had been sitting and kneeled down by her, putting her hands in her mother's hands and looking affectionately up to her. No, mother. I am not jesting. I am very much in earnest. Look at me Barbara Clark, age twenty one, graduate Mount Holyoke, member of Church and Christian Endeavor Society, plenty of good health, no money, educated for a teacher, no influence with the powers that be to secure a position. At home, dependent on and a burden to here Mrs. Clark put a hand on the speaker's mouth, and Barbara gently removed the hand a burden to a good mother who has no means besides a small legacy daily growing smaller and the diminutive interest on an insurance fund that is badly invested in western land there's my biography up to date do you wonder that i want to be doing something to be making some money even if it is only a little to be a breadwinner even if-but to be a hired girl barbara do you realize what it means "'Why, it means social loss. "'It means dropping out of the circle of good society. "'It means daily drudgery of the hardest kind. "'It means going to the bottom of the ladder "'and always staying there. "'And you, Barbara, of all girls, fitted to teach, "'an exceptionally good student, bright and capable. "'Oh, how does it happen that girls who are your inferiors "'have secured good positions, and you have not succeeded?' "'Poles,' said Barbara briefly. Mrs. Clark looked troubled. "'Is that college slang?' "'No, mother. "'Political. "'I mean that the other girls have had influence. "'If father were alive—' "'Ah, Barbara, if your father were living, "'there would be no talk of your going to work in a kitchen, "'and you shall not go, either. "'It is the height of absurdity to think of it.' "'But, mother,' Barbara began after a moment's silence— do you realize the facts, the plain, homely facts of our existence? Every day you are drawing on Uncle Will's legacy, and next month's rent and grocery bill will eat a large hole in it. I have been a whole year at home, living in idleness and eating my bread in bitterness because I could see the end coming. There is no one who is in any way bound to help us. Why should I let a false pride keep me from doing honest labor of the hand?" and there is more to it than you imagine mother dear it takes more than a low order of intellect to manage the affairs of a family as a housekeeper doesn't it mrs clark did not answer and barbara went on you know mother i made a special study in college of social economics the application of those principles to a real live problem had great fascination for me now, the hired girl problem in this country is a real live social and economic problem. Why shall I not be able to do as much real service to society and the home life of America by entering service as a hired girl and studying it from the inside as if I went into a schoolroom like other school ma'ams to teach? I love adventure. Why not try this? No one knows how much I might be able to do for humanity, socially, as a hired girl. Mrs. Clark looked at her daughter again with that questioning look of doubt, which she often felt when Barbara spoke in a certain way. It was not the girl's habit to treat any subject flippantly. She was talking with great seriousness now, and yet there were ideas in what she said that her mother could not in the least understand— But even from a money point of view, mother, such a position as this is not to be despised. If my services are satisfactory, I can get $4.75, or even $5 a week, and my board and lodging and washing and other incidentals thrown in. Suppose I had a position as a stenographer in one of the offices downtown. I could not possibly command over $30 a month. Out of that take my board, lodging, washing, clothes, etc., and I could not possibly save out of it over ten dollars a month, whereas working out at service I could save twice that much in actual wages. If I go into Bondman's store, for instance, as a sales clerk, I cannot get over five dollars a week, out of which I must board, lodge, and dress myself. Mother, I have thought it all out, and I feel that I must go in answer to this advertisement. I don't mind the social stigma, I do mind the bitterness of living in idleness at home. Let me do something useful, if it is only for a little while. I am sure a servant can be useful. "'It is a dreadful thought to me, Barbara,' said Mrs. Clark with a sigh. "'I never dreamed that a child of mine would ever be a hired girl. "'Say servant, mother. Servant is a noble word. "'Christ was a servant. "'Don't you remember Dr. Law's sermon on that word last Sunday?' The girl spoke lightly, not knowing herself the depth of the truth she stated, and yet her mother started and shrunk back almost as if the words were sacrilege. It is possible, however, that the older woman caught some glimpse of that great light in the social life of men, for when she spoke again it was with a yielding to Barbara's wish that was new to her. "'I don't understand you, Barbara.' If only the money that your father saved for your education had been more wisely invested, we might—but it is too late to think of that now. It is the thought that you are throwing away your preparation for life on something beneath you that makes me oppose this. But if you do go from this other motive, that changes matters somewhat. Of course it does, mother. Let me go. I should not be happy to go without your consent. I will do this.' I will go for a trial. This is probably the only way I can go, anyhow. But if after a reasonable time I find it is impossible for me to continue, if even my dream of any possible service to society turns out to be ridiculous or foolish, I will come back and and be a burden to you again, mother, until I find out what I am good for in this world. "'It is only on some such condition that I am at all willing to have you take this step, Barbara,' said her mother reluctantly. "'as Barbara rose and stood up by her for a moment in silence. "'She suddenly stooped and kissed her mother, "'and then walked over to the window and looked at her watch. "'After six, I might as well go right over there now. "'They will ask you for references,' the mother spoke up nervously, "'already doubting the wisdom of the whole affair. Barbara resolutely gathered up her courage. "'I have Professor White's letter, the Chautauqua Summer Mother. "'I can take those.' Barbara referred to a summer's experience when, in company with several seniors from the college, she had served as a head waiter and housekeeper at a large hotel in a state, Chautauqua Assembly. "'They are good as far as they go. Yes, mother, and I'm sure they will go far enough in this case. This family—' Barbara picked up the paper and read the advertisement again to get the street number correctly—'is in crying need of help. They will not drive me away without a trial.' references or no references?' Mrs. Clark did not reply, but looked and felt very anxious. It was a serious step in her daughter's life, and under any circumstances it might have a most serious effect on her future. "'This will leave me alone here, Barbara,' she said, as Barbara put on her hat. "'I think I can arrange to come home evenings,' said Barbara thoughtfully, "'We will settle it all right somehow, mother,' she added with a cheerful courage she did not altogether possess, for since her mother's consent she had begun to realize a little more deeply what she was about to do. "'I hope so, dear,' was the mother's answer, and then quite naturally she began to cry silently. Barbara went up to her at once and said, "'Dear mother, believe it is all going to be for the best. I must be a breadwinner.' give me your blessing as if i were a knight of the olden time going out to fight a dragon bless you dear girl said mrs clark smiling through her tears and barbara kissed her silently and then walked quickly out of the room as if afraid of changing her resolution barbara clark was not an extraordinary girl in the least she was a girl with a quick bright mind positive in her convictions with impulses that were generous and sympathetic with very little self-esteem, affectionate towards her friends, and ambitious to do and be something. It seemed very strange to her that out of all her class in college she was one of half a dozen who had not been able to secure a position even of a secondary character in any school. Her father's death had left her and her mother alone in the world, except for a few distant relatives in the west. Influences that might have secured a place for her were not used owing to a compulsory change of residence to another city caused by Mr. Clark's business failures. The intimate circle of close friends that had surrounded the Clarks during prosperity was changed for the cold, wideness of a strange city lacking in personal friendliness. And Barbara and her mother had passed several weeks in Crawford, practically unknown and with the growing consciousness that the little legacy and the insurance money were being drained seriously without hope of replenishing from any source so far as Barbara was concerned. The girl's longing to be a breadwinner had driven her into many difficult places. Under some conditions she would have gone at once into one of the great mercantile houses of Crawford as one of its great army of saleswomen, but at that time of the year every position was filled— except a few places that did not offer anything but starvation wages under conditions that Mrs. Clark positively would not allow Barbara to accept, so long as there was the slightest hope of the girl finding an opportunity to teach. So for several weeks Barbara had been, as she said, not unkindly, eating her bread at home in bitterness, because no one seemed to need her in the great world, where the struggle for existence seemed to her to be a struggle that made any other existence, more and more impossible. It was therefore not without a positive feeling of relief that Barbara Clark now hurried on to number thirty-six, Hamilton Street, to secure the position of hired girl in a family of five, entire strangers to her, and she smiled a little to herself at the thought of her anxiety, lest a number of other girls should have been there before her and secured the place. "'I am in a hurry to look into the jaws of my dragon,' she said as she turned the corner into Hamilton Street. "'I do hope he will not swallow me down at one mouthful, before I've had a blow at him with my—my broomstick,' she added, not caring whether the metaphor were exact or not. She paused a moment when she reached number thirty-six, and was pleased to note that the house was not too large nor too small. "'Just an average family, I hope. "'Well—' "'Here goes,' she said under her breath, as she rang the bell. She had studied Latin and Greek at Mount Holyoke, but here goes was all she could think of to express her courage at that moment. After all, here goes may be as good a battle cry as any other to alarm a dragon, especially if back of the short cry is a silent prayer for strength, such as Barbara offered up at that moment. There was no immediate answer to her ring, and she rang again. Then there was the patter of a child's step in the hall, and the door was opened. "'Is your mamma at home?' Barbara asked with a smile. The child did not answer at once, and Barbara took the liberty of stepping into the hall, still smiling at the child, who continued to look at her gravely. "'If dragons are to be met, why not with a smile?' "'Will you please tell your mamma I would like to see her? Tell her I have come to see if she wants a—' "'A hired girl?' asked Karl suddenly, for it was he— Yes, continued Barbara, smiling. Tell her a hired girl wants to see her. All right, said Carl slowly. He left Barbara standing awkwardly in the hall, and started upstairs to call his mother. Near the top he met her coming down. Another one of those girls, began Carl in a good sturdy voice, but his mother said, Hush! and in a tired manner ordered him to go back upstairs and stay with Louis until she came up. She came down and met Barbara in the hall. There were two chairs there, and Mrs. Ward sat down, saying, "'Won't you take a seat?' looking at Barbara closely as she did so. "'Thank you,' said Barbara quietly. "'I have come in answer to your advertisement in the evening news.' "'Yes,' said Mrs. Ward slowly. "'Are you—do you think you can do our work?' "'I think so,' replied Barbara modestly. "'Can you take charge and go on without being told how to do every little thing?' Mrs. Ward asked somewhat sharply. She was silently but rapidly noting everything about Barbara's face and dress and manner. "'Yes, ma'am, I think I can, after learning your ways. "'Your name?' "'Barbara Clark. I live with my mother on Randolph Street two blocks from here. "'You have worked out before,' Mrs. Ward was beginning to note the quiet refinement of the girl— and her first thought was a suspicion of Barbara. "'No, I have never worked out as a servant in a private family. I have been a waiter and cook and housekeeper one summer season at Lakeview Chautauqua. The only references I have are from Professor White, who had charge of the assembly that year. "'Professor Carol Burns White?' "'Yes, ma'am, of Waldo Academy. "'He was my son Alfred's teacher there. His reference would be enough.' Mrs. Ward spoke eagerly, looking at Barbara even more keenly. But you are not a-a servant girl. I am, if you decide to take me, replied Barbara calmly. Mrs. Ward looked at the girl thoughtfully. I do not think-we-you are not of the class of servants I am used to. May I ask-is it-may I ask how you come to be seeking this work? Certainly, replied Barbara cheerfully. "'I have tried to secure other places, and have failed. "'I think I can suit you as a servant. "'I—' Barbara hesitated. "'She thought if she tried to say anything about her studies in social economics, "'or the adventure of this plan as she had only vaguely dreamed of it herself, "'she might not be understood. "'Better wait and let that develop naturally.' "'So she stopped suddenly and sat looking at Mrs. Ward quietly. "'Mrs. Ward hesitated also. "'It was an unusual situation.' the girl had given enough evidence of being all right, especially if Professor White's recommendation was a good one. At the same time, there was a great risk in hiring a person of Barbara's evident education and refinement. How far would she want to become one of the family? What relations would have to be established between her and the mistress? But Mrs. Ward was thoroughly tired out with a succession of disappointments and experiences with girls who were incompetent, ungrateful, and dishonest. The suggestion to her mind of a good, honest, capable woman in kitchen and house, who could relieve her of the pain of daily drudgery, was a suggestion of such relief that she knew the moment that it came to her that her decision was almost made up to take Barbara, even if the circumstances in the girl's life were strange and unusual. Barbara suddenly helped her to make the decision final. "'Of course I am ready to be taken on trial.' At the end of a week or a month, if you are not satisfied, I shall expect you to say so, and that will end it. "'How much do you expect a week?' Mrs. Ward asked slowly. Barbara colored. She had never been asked the question before. "'I don't know. Perhaps you cannot tell until you find out how much I am worth to you. "'Shall we say four dollars to begin with? We have paid more than that, but—' "'I will begin on that,' replied Barbara quietly. "'Now, of course, if I come, you will let me know exactly what my duties are, so that there may be no mistakes on my part.' Barbara had a good deal of shrewd business sense inherited from her father. "'Of course,' replied Mrs. Ward, almost sharply. "'About my staying in the house,' began Barbara, "'I would much prefer to go home at night, to be with my mother. "'I don't think that can be managed,' Mrs. Ward spoke with some irritation." I shall need you in the evening very often. We can arrange that after I come. Barbara spoke gently again. That is, if I am to come. Yes, yes, Mrs. Ward looked at Barbara very sharply. Yes, you can come on trial. I am glad to get anyone. Barbara colored again, and the other woman saw it. Of course, I did not mean— I mean, I am just about discouraged over my housekeeping, and I am nearly down sick over it. "'I am very sorry,' replied Barbara gravely. Mrs. Ward looked at her doubtfully. It was one woman's sympathy for another, spoken in four short words, but the older woman had had her faith in servants so rudely broken so many times that she could not at once accept the sympathy as real. She kept coldly silent as Barbara rose. "'Shall I come in the morning?' she asked. "'Yes, say, nine o'clock. "'I will bring Professor White's letters then.' "'Mama!' cried Carl, at that moment appearing at the head of the stairs. "'Lewis wants to know if that hired girl is going to—' There was a muffled cry from the bedroom upstairs as Carl suddenly disappeared, dragged back into the other room by the older brother. Barbara smiled and said, "'Good night,' and went out saying to herself as she went down the steps, "'After all, the dragon was not so bad as I feared. "'I feel rather sorry for the dragon-keeper, Mrs. Ward herself.' on whose character and probable behaviour, together with that of her family, Barbara gravely dwelt as she walked home. She grew quite animated as she told her mother the story of her adventures so far. The matter of staying with her mother evenings was a subject of earnest discussion. Both agreed that it must be managed if possible. Barbara went over the interview and gave her mother the best possible picture of Mrs. Ward. "'I am sure we shall get on very well. She is a tired-out woman.' irritable because of her nerves but i am sure she is a good woman when she is well barbara concluded innocently the children will bother me i have no doubt but i know i can get on i saw only one child he has a roguish face but not bad at all oh the dragon is not what he's painted mother not yet said mrs clark in prophecy no not yet answered barbara cheerfully she felt almost light-hearted to think she had a position, even if it was only that of a servant. Yet she had herself said many times during her college course in the study of social economics that service was a noble thing, and as she went up to her room that night after a long and tender conference with her mother, in which the two had grown nearer together than ever before, she seemed to call to mind the many passages of the New Testament which speak of Jesus not only as a household servant, but even as a bond-servant, and it came to her with heaven-born courage that, if the Son of God became full-grown through his sufferings, endured in ministering to others, why might it not be the way in which she and all other of God's children should develop their real lives and grow into power as kings and queens in the kingdom? It is doubtful if ever before that evening Barbara had caught a real glimpse of the meaning of service. She did catch something of it now. She opened her New Testament, and it was not by chance that she turned to the passage in Luke, twenty-second chapter. And there arose also a contention among them, which of them is accounted to be the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles have lordship over them, and they that have authority over them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is the greater among you, let him become as the younger." And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For which is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am in the midst of you as he that serveth. But ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, even as my Father appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Luke chapter 22 Verses 24-29 through 29. Then she kneeled and prayed, Dear Lord, make me fit to serve. Use me to the glory of thy kingdom in the new life before me. Make me worthy to be a servant, to be like my master. Amen. So Barbara Clark began her new experience, which profoundly affected not only her own life for all time to come, but the lives of very many other souls in the world. And that night she slept the sleep which belongs to all the children of the kingdom, whose earthly peace is as the peace of God. End of chapter one, recording by hannah Mary.